Welcome back to the Pastor Study. Once again, I am Brian, the Younger Elder. So excited to be with you on Saturday. So blessed that you're tuning in. And again, we're going to be joined in just a second by author Dr. Timothy Paul Jones. And he is author of the up-and-coming book in the next month, Hullabaloo, Discovering Glory in Everyday Life. I was blessed by it. And I'm also joined in studio today with um, the elder over this ministry. Um, And his name is Al Hoydall. Al, welcome to the show with us. Are you there, buddy? Thank you very much. There's Al. Al is uh, with us today because it's it's actually program Saturday Programming Appreciation Day here at KKMS. So we brought in our, our boss man. He's the elder over the ministry, and I'm just a peon elder kind of. And he, so he's just watching me like a hawk, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's uh, that's overrated. <laughs> so uh, without further ado, we're going to go right to Dr. Jones. So, Dr. Jones, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. We're so blessed that you're here, and I'm going to tell everybody a little bit about you, brag about you, because I know I don't like doing it about myself. Uh, Dr. Jones, again, he's the author of Hullabaloo. He's a senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Rolling Hills near Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's got his bachelor's and master's in biblical literature and pastoral ministry, a doctorate in educational leadership from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's your author of, looks like, six books. Is that right? Um, Something like that. I honestly don't know the number, and I'm now... Uh, as of just this past uh, week or so, I'm now professor of leadership and church ministry at uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. It's where I've transitioned to. Oh, fabulous. And now, as I was looking at your bio, I'm, I discovered that I think you might possibly be a closet Lutheran because you named your cat Martin Luther. <laughs> yes, the reason I did that, uh, there's a story behind that. When we first got that cat, he was a little tiny cat, throwaway cat. And uh, he went in and he took on the dog and beat the dog right off the bat. And so wow. I, I said that that dog was was like the the Roman Catholic Church in the 16th century, <laughs> and that cat just took him on at the door, literally. <laughs> and so the, he he had been named Martin Luther ever since. Yeah. Well, we can appreciate that because we're Lutherans here, not ELCA yes, Lutherans, yes. mind you. We are AFLC Lutherans. We're definitely not ELCA, ELCA <laughs> Lutherans, and we love Martin Luther here. So yes. I appreciated that, and As you know. Someday you're gonna you're gonna realize your your true calling in the in the Lutheran Church, but for now we'll let you stay in the Baptist Church. Alrighty. Um, but I I like to start off when we have fabulous authors like yourself, just giving a chance to share your testimony, a brief version of how you came to know the Lord, so our listeners get to know your spiritual life a little bit. Could you share that with well, us? I, when I was uh, five years old, I made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ when I was five years old, and it often happens uh, when simply kind of uh, stays at a certain spot and doesn't grow, I think, in the way that God intends us to, um, and, and really went through some struggles with that. One of the struggles I went through was simply a, a struggle to believe, is all of this true, when I was uh, in the first year of college, and, and I really struggled with that for about a year, and uh, I would say the next major struggle at which God really grew me in some unique ways uh, is, is when was what hullabaloo comes out of, and it was really, uh, I, I feel like that first struggle I had was, is it true? And the second struggle I went through was, does it work? Does it work in real life? Does faith in Jesus Christ work in real life? And uh, and that's kind of what I described in Whole of Blue. It's that series of struggles that I went through really to let God make that faith that he had placed in me real in my life in a new way uh, and asking myself, how does this work in real life? Mm, wow. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. I know it's... As we get into topics, it's easy to kind of miss the ball when we. I, I want to be sure, be sure everybody hears about faith stories because we all have an, an, an individual cool story to share about how God's touched our lives. So thank you for sharing that with us. And and just so our listeners know, again, they, they can't buy the book yet, but can they can they reserve it already? Yes, they can. You 
you on Amazon.com as well as my website, TimothyPaulJones.com, and you can pre-order a copy, and then as soon as it hits the uh, warehouses, it will be shipped to you. All right, so be in mind, uh, be mindful of that, Christians out there, that you can order this book and reserve it, and we are so blessed to have it before it gets released. I feel kind of like a sneak, it's a sneak preview. It's kind of special. <laughs> yes. So um, as we get into this, uh, for, so the listeners know it's a book all about discovering God's glory in your everyday life, and uh, I want to kind of dig into that with you and get us get us to the point of talking about this. And I will say for the listeners' benefit that as I got a peek at your manuscript, I'm not a crier, and I almost started bawling when I read one of your stories in here, so I want to get to that a little bit later um, because I'm not that kind of – I don't cry at movies, that kind of stuff. So this is a great book, great book. So let's start off with um, – can you give us, what, what does the word glory mean to you? You kind of go into that in your book. What, what does glory mean? I think there's two meanings of it. One of them is that manifest, that manifestation of God's presence uh, that we read about all the way through Scripture, and, and we read that. But there's also the fact that in Scripture itself also, it, that our experience of these wondrous moments of life uh, in which we become just aware of God's presence, aware that he's really there, those are described as being glorious moments or moments of glory. And what we often get this idea of in the Christian life, I feel like, is that those moments of glory are supposed to happen once in a while when we're a youth at a camp or something like that or right. at some big event or something like that. We have these moments, these mountaintop experiences of glory, and then boom, it's all over and we go back to regular life. And what I want people to understand is that that glory is available and present in the ordinary rhythms of the life you're already living. And we get this idea that what we have to do to really glorify God and to, to experience God is somehow to get out of the life we're currently in. Right. And yet the truth is that God has placed his glory in the life we're presently in, and we need to learn to live within that. It's a trap we all get caught in, this, this trap of you know taking the latest class or reading the newest book or... Or, you know, waiting for the parting of the Red Sea to see God. And he's everywhere in our lives. And I just, I love that about your book. Um, and we do have to take a break in a quick moment here. But before we go, I want to um, see if you can dig into it. In your book, you talked about the Hebrew meaning of the word glory and what glory means in Hebrew. And I was kind of blessed by that. Could you share that with us? Yes, it is simply that the word chavod, and the Hebrew is one of those great languages in which is actually a, a letter or a sound in the language. I, it's always enjoyable. The word chavod uh, for glory actually means weightiness or heaviness is what it means. And it comes from the fact that ancient people, what really was supposed to last and persist was that which was heavy, things that were made of stone or metal or whatever like that. And yet we have this idea of glory that it's this thing that kind of comes and blows away, like a piece of paper or a leaf in the wind. Right. And yet the very meaning is that it's something that sticks around, that stays, that is weighty, that is heavy, that is important as part of our day-by-day life. Mm, wow. Oh, I, I love digging into word meanings. It really can kind of bring out some cool stuff from, from Scripture. Yes. Uh, but we do have to take a, a short break. And uh, listeners, we'll be right back after the short break talking with author Timothy Paul Jones about his book, Hullabaloo, Discovering Glory in Everyday Life. We'll be right back after this. Well, welcome back to the Pastor Study. Yes, once again, I am Brian, the Younger Elder. You're listening to Pastor Study Live. And we are talking to author Dr. Timothy Paul Jones, author of Hullabaloo, Discovering Glory in Everyday Life. And it's a, it's a book about those spiritual lows we all get into and how we can get out of them. And so as we keep going, I want you to spend a few minutes, if you would, Dr. Jones. What, is the, what does the title mean? Explain hullabaloo. Hullabaloo, is a, it comes from a Scottish word, actually. As you can tell, I, I enjoy words and word histories and all of that. But, but it comes from that, and it simply means the hustle and bustle of ordinary life. 
and try to let people know that we, we always get this feeling, or often get this feeling, that to get really to God, if I can really get to God, I've got to escape all the hustle and bustle of my ordinary life. And yet, if we take seriously the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ, the, the fact that God places his own spirit within us, it is precisely in that ordinary hustle and bustle in daily life that God wants to make himself known, and we forget that so quickly and so often. So, so we, we're forgetting to look at him in just the, the mundane parts of life that we think they are, right? Exactly. We see the humans mundane, not realizing that if truly, as Paul said, in him we live and move and have our being, actually, there are no mundane parts of life. It is all full of God. It is all filled to the point of bursting with the glory of God every part of our lives. So, so why do you think we, we keep filling our lives with these, you know, with the classes, the Bible studies, the books, the programs that are, that are designed to get us to see God's glory? Why, why do we keep filling up with this stuff? I think that we, we always want to, especially in our, in our culture, we live in a very consumerist culture. It's part of who we are, and it's soaked into our identity, into our churches. And in a consumerist culture, every commercial tells you there's some problem with you, and that you need to fix it in such and such manner, that right. you need this or that. Every commercial, that's what it's all about. Right. It tries to establish you have a problem, and we can fix it with this product. The difficulty is, is we often bring that into the church. We bring that into the Christian life. I have this problem. I have this low. I have this down somehow in my Christian life. Therefore, I need to go out and find something to fix this, to repair this. And it's not to say that these books and these seminars or anything like that are bad. I'm, I'm, right. I'm working in the publishing industry. Obviously, I don't want to say all this is bad. Right. Uh, but but it's the fact that they aren't bad. Many of them are very helpful. But the difficulty is when we begin to believe that those are the things that actually can cure our lives or can fix our spiritual lives, when truly what, what it is is simply finding the presence of God that he has already placed within our lives and to move towards that. Sometimes these may move us that direction, sometimes not, but there is no curriculum, there is no book, there is no seminar that answers the deepest longing of your soul. And sometimes we begin to feel like, if only I can find the right product, right. then the deepest longings of my soul are satisfied. That's just not true. And I was actually so used to, to hearing that, you know, the these steps or this book is what's needed, that when I was reading your book, I was expecting, you know, chapter one would be, Here's step one and six steps towards finding God's glory. And you actually boldly say, there are no steps. There's no steps. Don't look for them. You say there's one single truth we need to know. So tell us about that. The one single truth that we need to know is that if we have truly, if we are regenerate persons, that is, persons whom God has placed his glory within, so to speak, his spirit of glory, if we are truly that person, then God has already placed in our life everything we need to live a life of glory. Mm. And there's not anything we need to add to it. There's not anything like that. We simply embrace what God is already doing in us and for us. And everything that we do should focus on conformity to Christ's likeness, being like Jesus as he leads us toward that through what he's already doing in our lives. Mm. Oh, and, you know, I was, again, so struck by that because too often you hear pastors coming up with the catchy, you know, the, the six words that all start with the same letter in their sermon, or they're, or they're giving you the 12 steps to this, or the seven steps to this. And I was just, I was kind of struck when you said there's there's none of that. And so it made me keep reading to see what you had to say. And I I love what you had to say about it, that it's just recognizing Christ, if, if Christ really lives in you, God's everywhere in your life. His glory is everywhere. So So why do we keep then, do you think, bouncing back once we experience God's glory, when he, you know, slaps it in our face, why do we so quickly just jump back into our old ways, do you think? I think that the times it does 
slap us in the face, so to speak, as you said, uh, and the times it does that, we expect those either to be normative, to happen all the time, and if those aren't happening all the time, we think there's something wrong. And so we truly keep going back to this pattern, this lifestyle of looking for a spiritual high and ending up in a spiritual low, looking for high and going low. And instead, because we're still stuck on those high points as those are the points we really experience God. One thing that struck me in, in Hebrews, and this is something I didn't include in the book because I was reading Hebrews after I, I wrote this book, and, and I wish I would have incorporated it in there. It says literally in Hebrews 5, Jesus was discipled by suffering. And those simple mm. words just absolutely pierced me. Jesus was discipled, Montano, he was discipled by suffering. And we somehow get the idea that, that God's glory is most present when we get out of things like that. Right. And yet what it says is that Jesus was discipled by suffering. Uh, it goes all the way back to, as uh, speaking in the Lutheran context, uh, Luther's Ooh. theology of the cross, theologia crucis, and how he spoke of that so strongly, that theology of the cross, Jesus was discipled by suffering. Well, and people always forget the Bible promises that if you are in Christ, you will experience persecution. The Bible's clear on that, but we, we want to deny it. You know, we, we want to believe the lies of the televangelists. That are, that are trying to tell us that, you know, you're going to get a good parking spot if you follow Christ, or you're going to get, you know, the, a new car, or a new house, or more money. And that stuff is, maybe that's what starts to distract us, like you were talking mm -hmm. about consumerism. Exactly. We, God becomes one more product that we consume as opposed to being the overarching person in our lives towards whom our whole life is oriented. God becomes one more product, and we consume that product, and we get what we can out of that product. And when that product doesn't carry through, well, we go on to another church that maybe will accomplish that need or fill that need in our lives. And it's so out of character with what we find in the New Testament. Oh, there's so many examples in, in the New Testament where God's glory is shown through suffering. I mean, the best example, look at Paul's life. Did, mm -hmm. did he have a good parking spot or did he have, you know, a great set of sandals or something? No, he kept, he got stoned. He was persecuted constantly in jail. I mean, he's the example in my mind of what a really good Christian life should look like, and it doesn't look like it a whole lot of fun, necessarily. No. If you look at Second Timothy, yet what does Paul say? He says, I have no regrets about this. Oh. I have no regrets. And so somehow, from his perspective, he got his best life now. It's what he received when he got that. And yet we could, that, that life was suffering, it was pain, it was sorrow, and yet it was a life that he could authentically say, I have finished the race, I've done what God called me to do. I found glory in my ordinary life. Yeah, and, you know, I think Job is another great example of that, where we see Job in the midst of horrible suffering, glorifying God, giving God praise, because he knows God's in control. Exactly. He saw God in the in the bottom of his valley, and I was I'm blessed by that. And your book really focuses on that stuff, and I'm blessed by it. And we still have a lot of time with you with you yet, listeners. If you have questions for Dr. Timothy Paul Jones about his book Hullabaloo, you can call us at six five one two eight nine forty four ninety nine. Or if you're way out there in Radio Land, 888-332-5169. We'd love to hear from you to get your calls and questions. And after the break, I'm going to have Dr. Jones share with you the story that me, a guy that doesn't cry at movies or anything, I was tearing up and almost blubbering like a little fool over a story he shared about his adoptive daughter that is just incredible. And I'm having to share that with you that really plugs into this idea of getting out of those spiritual lows with God's glory. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back to the second hour of the Pastor Study Live here on AM 980 KKMS. I am Brian the Younger Elder, and we're joined by an incredible guest today, as usual, Dr. Timothy Paul Jones, author of Hullabaloo, Discovering Glory in Everyday Life. And his book is, again, it talks about those spiritual lows we all experience and how we can focus our lives to a point that we realize Christ is in us and God's, God's glory is a part of every single part of our lives, even when you're having a rough time. And uh, before the break, I gave you the little the little preview of the fact that there was a story in his book. There's many stories that are incredible, but this one in particular really touched me, where he talked about, really, the, Dr. Jones, you tell us how you came about discovering this this stuff about glory through this experience with your with the adoption process. Can you share that story? Yes. Um, this was, it's easy to write about suffering and God being present in that if you sort of isolate yourself in some sort of a cell somewhere or something like that, but really... This came out of an extreme, deep struggle in my own life to, to come to terms with this. And really, the, the foundation of it, looking back, is that I had an assumption, as many of us do, though we don't mean to, many of us do, that if I do all the right things, God will give me exactly what I ask Him for. Right. And, and even though we, we have that so deep in us, and even though we may disavow it from the pulpit, so to speak, uh, and in our lives, we will live that way. And, and my wife and I went through a uh, a time of uh, finding out we could not have uh, biological children and then struggling and struggling with that. And we went through three uh, different times in which we had a child, we, uh, that we'd started the adoption process, and the birth mother changed her mind and took the child from us. Oh. And we went through that three times in a row. And it was just at the end of all of that, I, I was just fed up with it. I got, I, I don't, I, I, God, I can't stand what you're doing. And I was angry with God. I, I was just spiteful, hateful, angry towards God. I, I must have been looking back on it. And yet it was that, that selfishness that was within me that was assuming, God, if I do what I'm supposed to do, you're supposed to give me what I ask for. And I remember when it really all came together for me for the first time. I remember with, uh, after we had adopted Hannah, actually gone through the process and the county judges' chambers and everything like that, uh, we had gone through the process. We're driving home. Hannah was tired. And um, we were looking at uh, at the sky, at the sunset, and it, it's there was red in the sky, and there was blue, and there was pink, which just happened to be um, ran. My wife's favorite color is red, and mine is blue, and Hannah's at that time was pink. And we're looking at that and said, wow, isn't that a beautiful sky tonight? Mm. And, uh, and Hannah just said at that point, she said, there's blue for you, Daddy. There's red for Mommy. And, and I can even tell that oh. a little bit. And, and she said that there's pink for me. And she says, I'm so glad that all the colors have finally come together. Oh. Um, and, and in the midst of all that, what God just did in me is he said, you know what? This child was your child all the way back from the beginning, all the way, all these years that you've been screaming at me and angry with me and everything like that. I had already had this child prepared for you. I already uh. did. This child was already present. The glory was already there. I was just waiting to give it to you. And, and it was it, it really all began to work together at that point for me. I'm not saying work together in the sense that I've had some sort of a perfect view of God and perfect view of prayer and all of that ever since. But I saw that no matter where we are, what we're doing, God is working, pouring glory into our ordinary lives, even in the most unexpected places, mm. unexpected ways. And it was just really coming together at that point. And that's an incredible story. And, you know, it's an important witness that you share with us in this, because too often Christians think, you know, I'm just a regular Joe. My pastor is so great. 
he's always on a spiritual high. And that's that's not true. The, the more I get to yeah. know pastors like yourself, I mean, you're in, in the midst of this, you're, you're pastoring your flock, you're leading your flock mm-hmm. in the midst of this anger. And um, I want to encourage Christians listening, if you're in a spiritual low, you're not alone. Uh, uh, people go through this. It's God is there with you, as we just heard. But, you know, everyone goes through it, even pastors. I know it sounds mm-hmm. funny to say that, but... I growing up, I know the pastor I was that was pastoring my church. I always thought that boy, this guy has it so great; it's always perfect. Mm-hmm. And and you share testimony that that's not the case. But well, one of the things I want to I want to get into based on your story there is you, you talked about the fact that you were angry at God, and and I want to I want to deal with that for just a second here. Can you first of all, I have to ask the question for our listeners: Is it okay to be angry with God? I, I certainly hope so. Now, okay, <laughs> me too. Kind of define what would be by that. Um, Okay, in the sense that we are angry with the situations we're in and with perhaps what we feel like God is not doing. But even in that, I think it is so crucial, I know it is so crucial, that we still hold on to faith and moving toward Him. In other words, our anger, it becomes wrong if our anger becomes the final word. If we live in that, we stay in that. But if we have anger at God and we are moving towards faith in Him, God, I don't understand what you're doing. God, I am angry with you. God, I'm angry with my circumstances. I don't know what to do. But God, I still hold on to trust in you and I want to move towards you. That is a godly anger that there may be. We find, for example, uh, I love the example of Habakkuk. Towards the end of Habakkuk, Habakkuk says, even if Every stall in the, in the barn is empty, and I'm paraphrasing here. Even if all the fields are empty of everything, I will still trust you, my God. Job has some, somewhat of the same idea right. when he says that uh, though he smite me or slay me, yet will I trust him. Job is, is frustrated with God. He's frustrated with life. And he says, God, you can smite me and even slay me, and I will still hold on to my trust in you. That's a godly anger or frustration with our circumstances and with God, one that leads to a greater understanding of God. But when we wallow in it, when we stay in it, which I must admit, there are times that I have done that, and that's wrong, and that's, that's what we cannot do. But if it becomes a, a, a something that moves us through a circumstance where we're still moving toward faith in God, then, then I certainly believe that God can use even our anger, that he does use even our anger for his glory. Right, right. And, you know, I think it's important for us to hear that, that even a pastor gets angry with God sometimes, and there are appropriate outlets for that, and you don't have to necessarily feel guilty about it. Um, and I, I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, another example besides Job that you shared that I was blessed by is you, you, you described Jeremiah, uh, the prophet in the Bible, in the book, as your soulmate of sorts, is what you said. Mm-hmm. Could you describe what you mean by that and how, how he works that way for you? Uh, for Jeremiah, it seems like every time... I have been in these dark times in my life. I end up going back to Jeremiah, and God does something through the book of Jeremiah, not in some magical sense or anything like that, but God uses that to get a hold of me. I remember that there was a time when I was frustrated with the pastor completely, and I wanted to walk away from being a pastor completely. And, uh, and, I, and I hit Jeremiah chapter 29, in which Jeremiah is writing to people who are exiled in Babylon. In other words, they feel like we're not where we're supposed to be. And he says to them, plant gardens, give your children in marriage. He does all these things, all of which required a blessing of God, which the 
people believed could only happen in Jerusalem. And there in Babylon, what Jeremiah is saying is, regardless of where you are, make certain that you bless God even in whatever circumstance you're in and stay there, root your life there. And God really did that with me. And in this circumstance, uh, there's a point in Jeremiah in which he says that God is a field, is what he calls God. And, and I read that, and I, I mulled that over, and, and, and in a time of anger, I said, God, you are a field. You just lay there flat and doing nothing, even when I'm hurting, you right. do nothing, because that's what a field looks like. And I remember that it was one of those just crystal clear moments. I looked down after that moment, and I saw something that I, I had seen before probably, but it never occurred to me. I looked down, and I saw bugs. I saw all sorts of little spiders and the grass itself. And I, then I thought after that of the bacteria and all of those things that are beneath it, all those things, that in a small bit of soil, it is full of life. And it was as if in that moment, God, through that, showed me, yes, I'm like a field. I'm like a field in the sense that even if you can't see me working, it is full of life, and there's always something working for my glory. Uh, again, one of those times, and I just found those in Jeremiah is just so full of, of things of that sort. Wow. Uh, and it's, it's a blessing how in different times the Bible and certain chapters and, and, and biblical characters can serve that purpose for us of showing us what our Christian walk is like. And yes. I'm, I'm blessed by your sharing that with us. Uh, I want to remind our listeners, as you're tuning into this, and r- as riveted as I am, please give us a call, 651-289-4499, 651-289-4499, or 888-332-5169, and we'd love to get your comments and questions. Maybe you're in a spiritual low and you want some advice, or you uh, you want to just share a blessing that you've experienced, or you have a question for Dr. Dr. Timothy Paul Jones. We would love to hear that from you. And I also want to ask you, I was intrigued by a little section in your book where you talked about how even churches fall victim to this hullabaloo thing. And I know you mentioned it earlier, but could you focus in for a minute and tell us a little bit more about how churches fall victim to this this thing that we all do, too? This was one of those points at which I, what I was writing about personal life ended up convicting me at the church level. I, I must just bluntly admit at that point, that whole section and chapter on that was not really part of the original plan for the book. I was writing it at the personal level of how we don't see the glory in the whole blue, and God convicted me in the midst of that, and what he convicted me of was that you're doing this at the level of your church. Every time the attendance goes down, you try to plug in one more program to pull it back up. Every time something happens, you run to this or that instead of simply seeking the glory of God where you are and asking, what is God doing? Because as pastors, it's so easy to think of what are the people doing and what do I need the people to be doing instead of asking, what might God be doing right now? Right. And again, I'm not saying that these programs, all of this, are bad that we use in our churches, but we so often treat them as some sort of a final word or authoritative way in which we can renew the body of Christ, and we point people to the curriculum or to the program instead of pointing them to the glory of God. And I call it pornography for the soul is what it basically is what I call it in the book. And that is something that offers some sort of a fleeting flash of pleasure but is so far from what God actually intends. And I believe that what much of what we do in church is that, and that really redefined how I did church, I must admit, uh, and how I viewed that, where I tried to ask first, God, what are you up to in this? before trying to run to the latest curriculum or the latest program. Yeah, you know, I've, I've seen what you're talking about. I think everybody has where, and, and you describe it so well in the book where you say that 
you know, the Holy Spirit's moving, there's big things happening in the church, and then the leadership tries to put it into a box and make six steps out of it, and everyone loses sight of the fact that God was moving. Right. And uh, and kind of squelches the movement of the Holy Spirit. And I just, I, I was struck by that because I think every church falls victim to this. Exactly. And I've seen it over and over. I've, and I, it's a painful admission, but I've done it over and over. I've actually done this at times, and, uh, and, and yet it is so far, once again, from what it's, and I, the example I use in the, uh, in the book is how Simon Peter, what he wanted to do on the Mount of Transfiguration, he said, Jesus, let's build three tents up here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. In other words, let's make this mountaintop experience something that we can put on display, a three-tent right. circus, have people come up to you, maybe even pay admission, and all of that. And, and he says, let's institutionalize this, and Jesus says to him, says to him be quiet and listen to God. Right. Be quiet. Listen to God. What a a statement! What an indictment for me, anyway, of us that we try to institutionalize it, try to put it uh, in a box, and God says, "Be quiet and listen to me." Well, you know, our our elder president right now has a good phrase I like a lot that he says that's kind of similar. He says, "We're just trying to get out of God's way mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we all put ourselves in front of God's plan, and uh, right. and we have to kind of." You know, stop thinking it has so much to do with us, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I, I, another example that, that I can think of that I've used in our church is that uh, uh, the, Jesus calls Peter a, a scandalon. Uh, that is a rock that goes in front of the path that you trip over. And when Peter becomes that in, in uh, Matthew chapter 16, he says, Get behind me, Satanas. Get behind me. Get where you belong behind me. Stop getting in front of me. We so often we want to jump in front, get ahead of God, and whenever we do that, we become a scandalon, a stumbling block for, for what God may want to do. And he says, get behind us, listen to me, follow me, uh, rather than running out ahead that way. Oh, and we all have to be doing this. We can't fall victim to the hullabaloo. We really can't. And uh, we do have more time with you, but we have to take a quick break. So, again, listeners, we have some calls waiting. Give us a call, 651-289-4499, and we'll be glad to take your questions and comments. For Dr. Timothy Paul Jones, author of Hullabaloo, we'll be right back with him after this break. Welcome back. You're listening to The Pastor Study. I'm Brian, the Younger Elder. Here with author Dr. Timothy Paul Jones. He's a pastor, and he wrote a book called Hullabaloo, Discovering Glory in Everyday Life. And his book is, it shows you how to to recognize God's movement in your spiritual lows and in the everyday activities of your life. And he, te- he teaches you not to just wait for the mountaintop experience. He teaches you to slow down and look at God's glory in every single part of your life. And it's just inspirational to do it. Again, you can go and order that book on Amazon in advance. It's coming out next month. Be sure to do that if you're inspired by this and you want to read more. Um, and we again, we'd encourage you, if you have questions for Dr. Jones, give us a call at 651-289-4499 or outstate 888-332-5169. And we do have a caller waiting on the line, so we'll go to Donald in St. Paul. Welcome to the Pastor Study. What's your question for Dr. Timothy Paul Jones? Yes, this is Don Austin. Yes. And uh, I was wondering, uh, do you think that most people believe in their religion stronger than they believe in Jesus Christ. And I take Tisdale, who interpreted the Bible in English. He was burned to the stake. And I was wondering what you thought. Dr. Jones? Uh, To do with whether about people on that, uh, whether they 
they more believe in their religion than in Jesus Christ. Obviously, we don't know the status of people's hearts, but as I look at people and as I work with people, I think that unfortunately that is in many cases true, and I think that's why we have what I described in, in the book and described earlier in the program about when God doesn't come through, we get angry with God. That's religion right there. That is something, if I put this much into it, I get this much out of it. That, uh, that really is, is more akin to uh, what we might call karma than anything else, than right. really uh, Scripture itself or than, the, than what Jesus Christ has revealed to us. And I think any time any of us, myself included, go to God with God, what did I do to deserve this? God, why didn't you come through in this area? Whenever that happens in my life, I am relying more on religion. That is, I put something in, I get something out, than I am upon Jesus Christ. And you can see in those martyrs and things like that, people who were godly, good people who were martyred for the faith, and we see that uh, surely if, if God would have spared anyone, it would have been many of these people, and yet somehow we expect that God's going to spare us. Uh, from suffering, but that's more religion than it is Jesus Christ. Hmm. Does that answer your question, Don? Yeah. Great. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Have a blessed day. And if you have a question for Dr. Timothy Paul Jones, give us a call at 651-289-4499. And uh, Dr. Jones, I wanted to ask you another, I have a bunch more questions for you because I was so blessed by your book. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is you, you go into quite a bit of detail, even telling a great story about how really a, a childlike faith is also part of this process and how we have to see faith through the eyes of a child to be able to recognize God's glory. Can you share the story about the um, the, the block party story from yes. the book? Yes, we were uh, on a mission trip in East St. Louis in probably one of the poorest areas of that. And uh, if one's never been in that sort of circumstance, we don't expect to see that in the United States. We've seen that in other places, but we don't expect to see that right there. And I remember we were handing out, it was uh, the last week of March, it was spring break, we were handing out flyers about this great block party that there was going to be at a community center uh, at which people would receive job training, in which they could receive literally free appliances, refrigerators, uh, food, everything they needed, as well as, as job training and different counseling and all of that to kick off this Christian community center. And as we're handing these out, all of these papers, suddenly something starts happening, there's some of the adults, many of the adults, uh, begin to get angry with us. And, and we simply, we honestly didn't understand what was going on mm-hmm. until finally we looked at it, and the, on the top of the flyer in huge letters was April 1st. And one of them made a comment that made us realize they thought we were down there in their part of town that they we were handing out these as an April Fool's joke upon them. It was so so wild. A couple of weeks later, when uh, the, the or these few days later, actually, when the, these they had this April first block party, and all the people that came were, with a few exceptions, children. They were children because only the children really believed that this was true. And I think mm. so many times in our lives that we need to have a childlike faith. We get so jaded by life that we think that God's glory can't be present in even the ordinary circumstances in my life. And yet a childlike faith, in part, is being willing to say, God, I believe that you are present beneath the surface of my life, even in the times when it seems like everything that's going on in my life is a big joke. Mm. Wow, yeah. you know, And I I see that through my children's eyes, and so many kids, when they just... They see God moving, often more often than I do, I think, and and that story is a great example of that. And your story about your daughter seeing the sunset—I mean, how often do we stop 
and just look around at the creation and glorify the creator. I, I catch myself forgetting, going on a walk and not even realizing I'm walking in this beautiful creation and seeing exactly. God's hand everywhere. It's just we get so caught up in what you say, the hullabaloo, you know, mm-hmm. the ins and outs, the, the soccer games, the, the events, the church picnics, the, all that stuff, and we forget to stop and glorify God. Exactly. Uh, we become, uh, the, the terminology that Jesus uses from time to time is translated often anxiety, but it, the word literally is, the, uh, is being at a point of a divided mind. And the intent of that is simply we are physically in one place, but our mind is off somewhere else. And we cannot fully live in the present moment in which God has gifted us with so much of himself in each present moment. And we don't live in that because our mind is off somewhere else. We are maristes. We are people of a divided mind. Right, right. Oh. Wow. And, you know, I have a bunch of practical questions I want to bring to you as we uh, get close to the end of our time together here. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you can give us some more advice on, let's say you were in one of those spiritual lows that so many of us experience where we're not feeling God's presence, we're not seeing his glory, or, you know, maybe some bad things are happening to somebody. What, what do we do to start seeing God's glory in all those things? And what I'm going to tell you is, is stuff that seems simplistic, but I simply believe it by experience to be true. And that is, number one, we cannot separate ourselves from the fellowship, from the communion of God's people. One of the worst things we can do is to separate ourselves from fellowship. And we may even be going to church. When I say separate from fellowship, I'm not talking about simply dropping out of church. I'm talking about the fact that we close off the doors between us and our fellow Christians. And we don't allow God to work through them in our lives. And that's some people, many people, who go to church every single time the doors are open, and yet they are cut off from fellowship by their own choice. The deeper I am in darkness, the deeper I need to enmesh myself in the communion of the saints. I need those other people, and they need me, even in those times. And I need to be honest with them. This is what I am going through at this time. I think uh, going back to, to Martin Luther, if you'll read through Martin Luther's table talk, you see this blunt, uh, it just, he states things that, that are going on in his life with such bluntness that sometimes it surprises us. But yet there's, it's a group of people gathered around him with which there's authentic communion about what's going on in his life, about what he feels like the devil's doing to him and all of that. We need to recover some of that. And the other, another thing I would say is, is to enmesh oneself in Holy Scripture. Simply to dig deeply into Holy Scripture and read and read and read and read until God says something to us. And what he says may not be what we wanted, it may not be what we expected, but it will be what is true if we truly are seeking God in the midst of that. Another thing I would just add as a a sidelight almost, but it's very important, we need to take an authentic assessment of our lives and ask, what am I doing that is pushing me so far down? What are the assumptions I'm making about life, about what I have to get done, about what I must do in different circumstances that I can really change so that I can have the healing from my soul? When our body is sick, we will often uh, go and we'll take a few days of rest, or we'll be forced to in the hospital or at home, we'll take a few days of rest, but yet we need very deeply Sabbath for our soul, we need soul Sabbath times for our soul to be healed of the things that it's gone through. And when we go through rough times in our lives, we think sometimes we can just get up and keep going because our bodies aren't hurt, but our souls are bruised. And we need to take the time to let God work in those in our souls 
to re- help us to recover and be what he wants us to be. So what, what are some things our listeners can do practically to be able to do that, to take that Sabbath day for our spirits and our souls? How, what, what are some activities or some things they can do as they're praying or, or journaling or whatever? What, what can we do? I think that one of the things that we need to do often, and I do this myself, I, I, I try to do this frequently, uh, is simply to turn everything off. <laughs> All of these, these messages that get sent to us through our, our, our computers, through our TVs and everything like that, that just simply to recognize I don't need to do those for a day. And truthfully, if we can't go without some of those things for a day or for at least a half of a day, maybe for starting off with, chances are we've got too much going on for us to be able to send God's glory in the whole of blue. We just are inundating ourselves with too much. So I believe it to be very, very practical and very, very important in our lives to set up certain times, schedule them, and let people know I've got something else going on that's scheduled at that time. I've got a meeting with somebody who's very important, and he's, he's my creator. Uh, we don't need to tell people that or anything like that, but to t- take time, shut the TV off, shut the computer off, and spend time with God, spend time in His, in his presence, and to take those times uh, to do that. And uh, I think that there's just practical things that we can do to make certain and in those times to look for, God, what are you doing in the ordinary rhythms of my life? Another thing that I would say that I've often suggested to people, just take time before you do things. We get so convinced that I have to be the first person on the exit ramp, the first person on the entrance ramp, that I have to get everything done right now. We live in a world that just compresses our time all the time. And to let go and realize, you know what? If I get to be the first at something or if I do it the fastest, but my soul is weak and sick, then I have truly not accomplished anything. To take the time to spend with God, to do what God wants us to do, to hear His voice. Mm. Wow. That's great advice, and I hope our listeners jotted down some notes. And I I will remind them at the end of the program all these things, too. Um, And, again, uh, I have a friend of mine in the studio here, one of our our other elders, Al Hoydahl. He's got a quick question for you. Go for it, Al. Hello, Doc. Uh, I can relate to the message of your book, uh, you know, being an elder and, and being a leader in ministry and, and, and all those things uh, go along with the church life. But uh, the question I have is, is your book is your book for the mature Christian only or for the new Christian as well? And I ask that because, you know, my own personal experience, I didn't even know what my spiritual gifts were until I was well into my 30s. You know, just a simple thing like that, and and I, I, I'm just questioning whether a new believer will understand things like rejoicing and suffering, and and God in the everyday things, the hullabaloo that you talk about, and the like. I can speak only for who I had read it and some things like that. And actually, in a lot of cases, new believers, persons who are not that familiar with church life and all of that, they have ended up getting more out of it than even the mature believers. Um, I think because perhaps, and I'm theorizing here, but I think it's perhaps simply because they have not gotten as accustomed to church as a as a way of life in which it's more of a program or an organization, they are still at a point where they recognize it as a relationship with God, and it's actually clicked with them in some cases better than with mature Christians uh, in that. And so I can only speak to that part of it, but I really believe that it's something that um, that Christians at any stage of their journey can get a hold of and, and, and entrench it into their lives. 
Okay, thank you. I, I know that the, we, we've got quite a broad spectrum of folks that, that tune into the show, so I, right. I think it's good info for uh, for the listeners to hear. Absolutely. And, you know, we all experience these spiritual lows. And I, th- this is a different book, listeners. It's it's a different book. You can have to look at this. This isn't just the steps to feeling better about God or something. It's it's a clear picture of prioritizing your life and seeing how to, how to look through the mess of what all the stuff going on and and see God's glory. So I want to thank you. Uh, Dr. Jones, for being with us today. I thank you. And uh, if anybody wants any more information about it, you can go to my website, timothypauljones.com. You can order it from there uh, and everything. And if I put at the end of the book, don't keep the book. And I, I give even instructions at the end of the book for how to get rid of the book, even if it entails destroying it. That's at the end of the book, how to get rid of the book. And, and again, it's timothyjones.com? TimothyPaulJones.com, TimothyPaulJones.com. Check it out. Order the book in advance so you can be the first one to see it hot off the press. I recommend it highly for any Christian because we all experience these times of, of highs and lows. So thank you again, Dr. Jones, for being with us. It's been a blessing. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have a fabulous day. You too. God bless.